0: Thanks, guys. Fast Money starts right now live from the NASDAQ market side overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete and Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight, healthcare getting slammed today down 2%, the worst performing sector this year by a long shot, and one top technician says there's more pain ahead. Plus, Netflix reporting earnings moments ago. Fast Money friend and Loop Ventures founder Gene Munster will be here to give us instant reaction in just a few minutes. And we start right there with Netflix earnings, the streaming giant beating estimates, but coming in with light guidance for uh, the current quarter. Shares under pressure a bit after hours as we await the conference call. It's really a sort of a video call, which kicks off in about an hour's time. So as Netflix come to far too fast and as competition heats up is this as good as it gets for the streaming giant and actually reed hastings addressed competition uh, in the release. Never afraid. Yeah, yeah. which right And we, afraid. we
1: actually alluded to that last night so it's interesting the stock was up big today obviously maybe in sympathy netflix now maybe people just squaring up ahead of earnings but you tell me this earnings release all right the quarter was Okay, but second quarter guidance, you know, if you told me that ahead of time and said, you know, gee, what's going to happen to Netflix with this second quarter guidance? I'd say it's going to be down $15 to $20, and here it is down only a few. I'm actually really surprised it's trading as well as it is. With that said, obviously, the conference call comes up in about 58 minutes from now or so. A lot can happen, but i got to tell you, that second quarter guidance was not great. Dan, Dan Nathan alluded to this last night about being saturated in the United States. Second quarter guidance actually speaks to that, yet the stock is hanging in there. I'm very surprised. And it's
0: even more surprising, given the pipeline they have in the second half, you would think that there would be more or an expectation of more subscribers uh, when you have The Crown coming on, when you have another season of Stranger Things. The things I don't think, any, I don't think any of the competition
2: matters to Netflix. I think they were first there. I think that people will buy a well, well, bundle of these. right now, the these. competition
0: that we're talking about still hasn't come in the form of Disney. Sure. And yet the second quarter guidance is still light in terms of subscribers.
2: All the polling says that people will keep Netflix... We'll add on Disney, we'll add on whatever else there is, and they'll have a a thicker, skinny bundle, if that makes sense. I don't think it's going to hurt Netflix. I think you're going to
3: have a whole bunch of these bundles. Well, I think they're going to have a thicker, competitive landscape, and that's certainly part of what's going on here. And 560 Ads Guide on the second quarter um, starts to get to a point, as Guy said, you get into saturation. Or just look... at what point is a growth multiple for a company uh, not really growing? And the international subs, I realize there's a lot of opportunity out there. I also think the international culturally is a lot more wide open for someone like Disney and to be a real competitive threat. The problem with Netflix from a valuation perspective to me is, is, is significant. But the, the bigger issue in terms of the competitive threat is we don't know till late 2019 or even 2020 just how much of a threat this is. Right. And now based upon how the stocks have traded, it's been a relative value trade. It's certainly been a trade where I think there's more sympathy towards Disney.
0: So the, the pop today was, I mean, Deutsche Bank upgraded the stock going in, BMO raised the price target, so that certainly helped in terms of the sentiment going in here, but it's holding pretty well mm-hmm. yeah. considering this guidance, so why do you think that Morgan helps?
4: Stanley as well, they put a 450 mm-hmm. price target on this thing. I, I think this is interesting, though, because how many times have we sat on this desk and we said, hey, look, when there's something that's amiss, in this particular case we're talking about the guidance, when, when we see something that's negative... And the market's reading it as not, as negative. I mean, this stock has already been in a $48 range since earnings were reported. So it went down, and suddenly it was bought right back up again. So I, th- I don't know. I, I own the stock. I still believe in it. And I still think that there is competition out there in different ways. But you have to remember, to your point, Steve, I think when we look at Netflix, we have to understand what Netflix is. Netflix is a replacement for people that are getting away from the normal way of watching. It's an app, so people are using that, which is different than having to compete with what everybody always wants to throw out there of who they're competing with. So I think because of that and because they are such so in front of everybody else and being willing to put all this content out there and pay money mm-hmm. for the content to get out there. Did you notice one thing that I thought was really interesting? How about the fact that the debt factor of this company, $10 billion, is exactly what it was last quarter? That says something, too, and I think people are reading into that as, in terms of this company is starting to be a little bit more fiscally, understandably, some, something that people can get their arms around.
0: All right. So I think to make a really good point in terms of how much do you pay for a growth company if there is not growth right. on the subscriber number, which is what everybody is focused on. I'm going to go to you because you've been uh, yeah, bullish so, so on I, Netflix. I, I do
2: think that there's headwinds, but obviously the way that you touched on the stock price, yeah. the way that it's absorbed this negativity is, to Pete's point, pretty tremendous on, on a, on a okay. basis okay. where let's, there's lighter volume ba- let's post. Let's
0: back this chart up. Let's go back this chart up to the beginning of the year. Because at the beginning of the year, that's when Netflix made its, most of its gains. And then since middle of January or yeah, so, it's flat Because you,
2: you have a heck of a lot of headwinds that are coming in. It's being factored in. Uh-huh. It's being digested. But you're also not seeing the stock feel it the way it should have felt it, the way that everyone thought that someone else was going to steal their lunch. No one's stealing their lunch. There's going to be enough of the pie
1: for a lot of players. Yeah, you know the competition. I get competition thing. I still think Netflix has such a huge head start. To Pete's point, that they sort of set themselves up to be able to have a quarter like this and the stock not get obliterated. I'm really surprised. You know, again, a lot can happen over the next hour or so. But I'm really surprised the stock's not down in a meaningful way given this quarter. I mean, a couple quarters ago, even without Disney's announcement, this stock is down meaningfully. This time, it's not. I don't really understand what's going on. But to your point that's a really good sign. So you don't really necessarily have to understand mm-hmm. the stock is telling you something right now. So the fact that it's holding yeah. in there is very important. The entire sell side it seems like
2: has either buy ratings or hold ratings or overweight ratings on the stock, weightings uh-huh. on the stock with higher price targets. Okay. So we're talking about now. Tell me? Now analysts that what it tells you me. is that what it tells you is that once the stock sells off, the sell side runs in and starts to buy the stock because they do have their buy ratings on it they have to back up what they say with sure, what so you're they're doing they're actually going to go into the market and buy the stock cuz they have a buy rating I'm saying no, that they do no, support no. the stock. If they think it's a buy, they do support the stock. They go out to retail investors. Who supports the stock? Sounds. When you see the stock, no, it doesn't sound anything. Well, that's the way the business okay. works.
3: So, so I, when I hear that the street is way overweight, the stock, uh, and they're not growing, to me, that's actually a concern. I, I think if, as far as I'm concerned, EPS estimates, uh, there actually is no EPS, but effectively have to come down. You've got a company, if you look at the stock, it's down 15% from the all-time highs. The stock's done nothing in, in a year, uh, while the rest of the market has gone through a difficult period. And granted... Netflix recovery is a V-shaped recovery, but it's a recovery off of a lower base. And I wouldn't get all that excited about the 40%. You've never been excited about it, though. So it doesn't work for you. You're more of a value versus this this type of a growth stock. First of all, it is working for me, Steve. And the bottom line here is I'm going to stick to... How's it working, The Stock's up 34% year-to-date. All right. Keep your scorecard and do, do victory laps, but the bottom line no one's line doing is victory the, laps. I'm trying to understand this, what you're this, saying. This this company is expensive. You finally have competition. Uh, I don't think it's when could you, you not can't have tell said me that, that it is? When could you have not have said that about Netflix? It's
2: always been expensive. Can I jump in for one yes, second? Please. Just say hey, you, look, here we are. We I have think, that moment.
4: I think the good part of what we do know for a fact is they have pricing power. They've been able to actually show that they do have some pricing power. So I think that's one advantage. I think over time we're going to see more and more penetration because of broadband, because of a lot of different reasons. Reasons, in terms of the rest of the world, because the international of 5G space,
0: and the number of broadband, subscribers everything that's going to
4: open up for them, I think. And you know, everybody talks about India and Japan and all these different areas. Yeah. And I and, and and I get it. You know, I mean, there are some hesitations there, but I think that people are looking at that as that's where the growth really is going to be. I I think people stopped looking, and I look at this the way I look at the iPhone for Apple. I think people are stopping looking at the United States as the place where they're looking okay, for that's the growth. Fair, they're but looking at national. The international,
0: international guidance
4: was weaker, was weaker also. Right, right. And I so think
0: it's failing on both fronts. I don't know if i
4: call it failing. Area and the I don't know market. that I'd call it failing. I would say that as that penetration gets stronger, okay. then I think that gives Netflix that much more room.
0: All right. Um, let's go straight to our fast money friend, Gene Munster, mm. uh, founder of Loop Ventures, for more on this. Um, settle the score, Gene. What do you make of Netflix? What, you know, what do you um, make of the quarter, the after-hour action, et cetera?
5: So I'm someone who generally is skeptical about the business model. I think as far as the stock, I would agree, I, it was hard for me to pick up who was saying what, but agree with this consensus that the stock seemingly wants to go higher. I think that that is probably some indication that, in general, the growth internationally, the subs, even though there is a little bit of disappointment on both domestic guide and the international guide, the international guides where the majority of those subs, call it four and a half of the five million, are coming from, that story is generally intact, and I think that that piece, along with price increases that Pete talked about, those are uh, the the central points of the bull case, and they're essentially still intact. I think the piece that uh, hasn't been talked about in the conversation is, does uh, Netflix, the question is, does Netflix have, in fact, a good business model? I would argue that it is not a good business model. As part of evidence, they burn three billion dollars. Uh, at ten dollars a month they would have to add thirty million subs. At the current run rate, that probably puts it towards the end of 2020 before they kind of alleviate that cash burn. Now, they can do some things in terms of making some of the content costs a little bit more efficient, but I think that, uh, in general, more competition is not good for that. At the end of the day, Melissa, the way I'd settle the score is we're probably talking too much about Netflix. This stock is going to probably chop around here. The multiple could go up or down a little bit. More competition coming. I think they're just a lot better places to play in tech.
0: What's the uh, biggest question that you got heading uh, into that video call?
5: Uh, the biggest question is uh, maybe if they can give some context around that negative guide, the disappointing guidance, <clears throat> what they saw in the business that really led them to that uh, disappointing guidance. Sometimes they're just simply conservative. Uh, sometimes they see something else in, like, emerging markets, something like that. Is there something uh, more significant? The second biggest question, just quickly, is just uh, Pete talked about this, too, but the debt, that $10 billion in debt, uh, what are they going to say about content costs more broadly? Because when you start adding Apple's balance sheet into this mix of content costs, I think it's pretty uh, easy to get uh, to see how these content costs can scale up quickly. So that would be my next question.
0: What do you see as the, uh, the biggest challenge to Netflix right now in terms of competition? I mean, even looking at Disney, but the current competitive landscape because it 's only going to increase as time goes on once Disney comes online
5: so my view on competition on this has evolved initially, I thought that uh, people would have one of uh, these services now i 'm of that in that camp that you 'll have multiple services and uh, in fact, I think Netflix will do well. I think they 're going to have great market share in the u s and globally and Uh, I don't necessarily believe that that's a a good stock, though, just to be clear on that. So to answer your question on competition, the simplest way to think about how this impacts Netflix is the stock and the multiple. And the more buy-side people that subscribe to either Disney or Apple, the more you see that, the more some of that shine gets taken off of the multiple. And when you have a $158 billion market cap uh, that's losing $3 billion a quarter, when that shine gets impacted on the multiple, that could be something that investors... Want to anticipate.
0: Gene, can you grade the quarter for us?
5: Uh, I'm going to give it a B and right down the middle. I think for Netflix, uh, great, uh, uh, or, or, uh, a good enough quarter, if you will. I think the business is a C. That's not a question that you're asking, but uh, give the quarter a B. All
0: right. Gene, thank you. Gene Munster, a Loop Thank Ventures you. on Netflix. He says it's going to chop around a little bit. Pete, what do you do with your position here? How are you managing that? I'm going
4: to continue to own what mm-hmm. I own. I own the stock, but I also sell calls against it. And this was a pitch stock that I did just last year. So I've stayed with this. And every two months, I can tendeally to sell calls against this. And it's amazing the implied volatility because we were just talking about or I brought up the fact $48 range just in the aftermarket so far. Well, we've watched this stock in an incredible range already this year, year to date. I mean, from these lows to the highs, but it's been all over the place since that time. So... Because the implied volatility is there, it gives a great opportunity for people if you want to own the stock and you're selling some calls against the position, Mel, it gives you an opportunity to create something and defend yourself to the downside so you don't have to puke out the stock on the downside. Right.
0: Again, Reed Hastings is going to speak on that video conference call at the top of the hour. But in the meantime, uh, Grasso, I think Gene made a good point in terms of the quality of the miss, the reasons behind it, um, whether or not it was something that they saw in the quarter leading into the current quarter. What are your questions here? So you, you
2: want to see what they really feel about the competition. You want to see how they feel on pricing. You want to see how they feel on pricing internationally and, and domestically. the competition could
0: be broader than just a Disney and a Hulu. It could be Fortnite. It could be sleep. Those exactly. are the well, things they've that said already that it has been mentioned Fortnite. Last quarter.
2: It's been, it's the, the competition is hours in a day. But right. I think that people like the platform. It's, it's more conducive to people watching on this platform. Their biggest competition for me is Amazon Prime. I'm on both of them constantly, but like I said, I think there's, a, a, there's more room for a lot of these players than we all
3: think. Yeah, I think we're finally getting to a case where we can actually really assess what competition is. Um, the fact that the stock was defensive in the after hours to me is, is, you know, that's great. This is a stock that underperformed 5% over the last couple days on the days when the, the announcement of competition came out. So this quarter was a B. Um, the, the biggest issue I have is how can a company who's basically a conduit for delivery of content with some content. Be priced at 130 times, and I'll stay at that, Steve. I'll stay with that till the Cows come home, because I haven't changed my tune, and I, I right. Know, it's I, been I don't I, get and, and not not being personal, but it's been I, anyone be who's personal. anyone who's had a problem with it
2: has been hurt by it. Anyone has had a problem with I'm it not has sure. been burned by it. I mean, you know, I'm not sure. I
3: mean, first of all, that
0: Disney's that, up that, 18% year-to-date. Well, they've only been burned if they're short the stock, if they're simply not in the stock and their money someplace but, else. But, like if but if you continue return, to say that on a, a risk against against it,
3: basis, looking at volatility and standard deviations, this stock has not been a good trade over the last year. I'm sorry. All right, but year-to-date, that's the way
2: we judge our businesses. It's up 34%. That's the way we all live. It was down the 42% going
0: into that year. All right, guys. I'm blowing the whistle. We'll bring you more on Netflix, you know, in the trading when we have. In the meantime, we got a news alert here on T-Mobile and Sprint sinking the after-hour session. Let's get to Seema Modi for the details. Seema. Yeah, Melissa, just when we thought this mega deal was nearing the finish line, T-Mobile and Sprint plan merger is reportedly facing pushback from the DOJ's antitrust staff that, according to Dow Jones, quoting sources. Now, staffers from the Justice Department have reportedly told both carriers that the deal may not be approved under its current structure. In the past, critics have worried about the impact of this deal on competition and prices as the com- combination of T-Mobile and Sprint would take the telecom market from 4 to 3 major wireless carriers but the companies have often argued in the past that together they can offer their customers more options and work on faster 5G networks. CBC received a no comment from Sprint and T-Mobile but potential setback in this 26 billion dollar merger has sent shares of both companies lower in extended trade while competitor verizon is also trading down in after hours melissa back to you all right Seema, thank you Seema modi back in the newsroom uh, obviously there's questions around what would t-mobile what would sprint do next but in terms of the competitive landscape with more players there's probably more price competition and that's why the other carriers are down now, i know that sounds a little counterintuitive but the more players out there, the more they're likely to cut prices. Yeah, I
1: mean, if you read the wording as currently structured, right. which is interesting. I mean, you know, so I would look at it and say maybe this 9.5% sell-off in Sprint is actually an opportunity. I don't think this is necessarily over. So for me, I know T-Mobile's down four bucks. I get it. Sprint's down a lot more percentage-wise. I would view this as an opportunity to buy Sprint. I do think, in some way, shape, or form, this probably does get done.
0: You have AT&T. You like AT&T. What does it do to AT&T, if anything?
1: I think there's there's an enormous headwind in at
3: least the performance of AT&T stock over the last 18 months because of their cellular business. There's no and you know Direct TV and there's been there's been failures there, but but their cash burn and actually the cash flow elements of that business have actually the trends over the last three quarters have been great. Now, this news, as you just said, maybe that introduced a more competitive predatory landscape. But right now, I think of all of them, especially if we're talking about content, and I talked about this yesterday, so I won't waste your time today. But I think the sum of the parts on this company is very interesting.
2: I think that together, I agree with that statement that we just when we announced the story, Mm -hmm. that together they offer more of a competitive nature and landscape to a Verizon or AT&T. So it's counterintuitive. But I'd rather so, so see them together. You
0: actually see them. You think the industry
2: Figuring is better off. Yeah, I think the industry is better off with these two merging because I don't think uh, independently they can compete with the monopolies that Verizon, the duopoly that Verizon and AT&T have.
0: Do you read uh, through to this and think, hmm, DOJ, cracking down on these deals. Yeah. It Maybe makes, deals will be harder, harder to get done. I, I think there are
4: some that I think there are definitely going to be much more scrutiny, Mel, and because of that, I mean, you, you're never guaranteed anything when you're looking at all these various deals that are out there. And we've seen deals fall apart, some really big deals fall apart. So I don't know that this is totally shocking to see this happening, but from a competitive landscape, I think those two together need to be there to make this an actual, a, a better competition.
0: All right. Um, well, the semis, if you have missed this, closing at a new record high today after Qualcomm and Apple settled their royalty dispute, which sent Qualcomm shares soaring. Our Josh Lipton's in San Francisco with the details. Josh.
6: So, Melissa, high drama in a courtroom in San Diego. So, right in the middle of opening arguments before the jury. Apple and Qualcomm burying the hatchet, putting an end to what we know was a long and very nasty legal dispute between these two tech giants. The agreement dismisses all litigation between the two companies. It's going to include a one-time payment from Apple to Qualcomm. We don't know how big a check Apple is writing here. Companies, though, also importantly reached a new six-year license agreement and a multi-year chipset supply agreement. That combination of licenses and chips is going to add an estimated two bucks to Qualcomm's EPS. This trial was important for both companies, but we know it was especially so for Qualcomm because it really did drive right to the heart of its business model. Qualcomm sells chips, but it also licenses patents for a royalty on the price of each device. And that really, as we know, is its bread and butter, which was under attack in this case. Now that threat, what some analysts call the biggest threat, has been removed. And Qualcomm Investors, as you can see there, clearly breathing a big sigh of relief here, Melissa.
0: All right, Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. So that chart is during the regular session, up 23%. After hours is up another 3%. Mm. Pete, i got to go to you. This is a great trade. You got into close Well, lucky. Uh, Lucky
4: lucky trade. I mean, but uh, just at the beginning of March, actually, we saw some absolutely monster paper coming in. And Mel, we've talked about this a couple of times on the show where everything's been very, very short term. This is the one trade that went out a little bit further. People were willing to bet and put money out further into the future. There was July calls that they were buying in Qualcomm. But they bought huge size melt just out of the money. Stock was trading under 60 at the time. And you could see this this monstrous move since that time. Those calls have absolutely soared to the upside. I had to get rid of the calls. I still own the stock right now. But I think I'm going to get rid of that stock pretty quick, too. I love this move. And this is great for Qualcomm right now. But I, but I don't know how long this is sustainable in terms of, can Qualcomm now mm-hmm. be the competitor that everybody wants them to be? I think right. they're, they've got great patents. They've got a lot of different things. But I, I think there are better places right now for me in terms of where I want to have the chip exposure.
0: What did you make of the record high in semis?
3: I tell you what, you know, again, if you're looking for places where the market has not only come back but exceeded where we were at the highest, look at semis, you know, relative to where they were uh, on October 1st when we went into this downdraft. So, again, you're up 43% in 77 days on semis. Look at FedEx. Look at transports along. I think they're saying the same thing. It says it's going higher.
0: All right. Coming up, check out shares of United. The stock is jumping after its earnings report. We'll tell you what Wall Street is saying about the quarter. Plus, a number of health care insurers sinking to fresh lows today. We'll tell you what the CEO of United Health said that had investors running scared. And later, Weed Week rolls on. The man who built what is now the largest seller of pre-rolled joints, Lowell Herb, will be here to explain how he's cashing in on the cannabis craze. We're live in Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on United, higher in the after-hour session. Phil Lebeau is here on Whoa, set, come on. breaking down the earnings. Stop.
7: <laughs> look, it's not just that United came in 20 cents better than expected. It's what they said about their outlook. Now, three things are going to stand out when you look at United for their outlook, second quarter and full year. First of all, reiterated, reiterated full-year earnings guidance, 10 to 12 dollars a share. That's the first piece of good news. The second piece of good news is when you take a look at what they're saying about both revenue per available seat mile as well as their thoughts on the second quarter and the full year capacity growth. They're trimming their capacity growth. Four to six percent was their previous guidance. Now it's four to five percent. Now some of that is the max, but there are also some other issues that they have said, you know what, we're just not going to fly as much. All of that, if you are an investor, all of that is good news. And that's the reason why, in addition to them beating the street, the stock is up.
0: Do we have any colors to, I mean, I get the the trimming, no, well, yeah, (laughs) on the max.
7: Nothing. Oscar Uh, Munoz put out a video statement after they reported their earnings. Now, he does a conference call in the morning. That's what I really want to hear because then there's going to be some direct questions. Didn't even mention the max in this video tonight. So nothing about the max. Remember, they're the least affected of the three U.S. airlines that fly. Is there
0: any concern that part of the trimming capacity is because the demand might not be there?
7: I don't think so. I, I, okay. I, I'm still, based on what I'm hearing from everybody in the industry, I still think that they're, the demand is solid. I'm just not seeing, you know, usually you hear people saying, well, you know, I'm not really crazy. I'm not hearing that.
3: So, Phil, in fact, from what I'm hearing is actually demand on business and the full fares oh, are, 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 are business, sky yes. high. So, so the, the great news to me is the capacity issue, because a year ago, United scared the you-know-what out of us. Um, do you get right. the sense that the rest of the airlines have caught this religion? Because, again, United was the one that seemed to have fallen off the wagon, and, and they seem to be setting the, ta- you know, the table again for I the wagon. I think the
7: rest of the industry has. Uh, and I don't know if they've totally got the religion on, on capacity, but I think that discipline, I'm, I'm surprised it has remained as disciplined as the industry has. In the last six months, I thought that this was where we would start to see cracks show, and you'd start to see edging higher here and there in capacity, and we just haven't seen it. Yeah.
1: You know, obviously they all trade at ridiculous valuations. I think United seven times next year, ridiculous Delta's cheap, is oh, cheap. Yeah. ridiculous cheap, just to clarify. But this is actually sort of a question for you. They give guidance, but guidance, 10 to $12 for this year, 11 right. to $13. It's rather wide. I understand the nature of the industry. I guess my question, should they even bother? And if they didn't, may, might they get a better valuation? It's just a, a question. Uh, great great point. I, I, don't know what to, I don't know if they would get a better valuation.
7: Um, I think that that 10 to $12, I think what they're trying to show people is, look at what we had in the first quarter you had the polar vortex canceled a slew of flights Understood. you had Gov the government shutdown shut at the end of it you had the max but that really was very small uh, and then you had their flights to india being curtailed because you can't fly over pakistani airspace a lot of issues with that you put that all together it, it, there was plenty of turbulence there and what they're saying is even if we don't have the max this summer even if we're going to see a few other things that might, you know, weigh against us, like Pakistan and India, we believe that we will be able to deliver what we said.
0: Phil, good to have you here on set. It's nice good to be here. You. Phil LeBeau. Um, Pete, you still in airlines here.
4: Yeah. I, United's one of them. I know Timmy's been all over this one. I think it's too cheap. I, I love the fact of what we're hearing about capacity and cutting that down. I mean, that was huge for me, so I, I, I'm
0: still holding. Again, the conference call is tomorrow morning, so that's going to be worth watching. Still ahead, yeah. check out where we stand with the other After Hours movers, Netflix and IBM, both in the red. We'll bring you the latest from the quarters. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on
6: Fast. I don't
4: feel so good. Yep, the healthcare sector is looking sick. And something the CEO of one of the largest healthcare companies just said could be about to spread the disease. We'll explain. Plus... Anybody want to join? As Weed Week rolls on, the CEO of one booming cannabis brand tells us how his company is coming out on top of the cannabis craze. There's much more Fast Money still ahead.
0: Welcome back to Fast Money. UnitedHealth getting crushed today. The stock hitting a 52-week low. The CEO out with some fighting words on the company's earnings call about Medicare for All. Take a listen.
5: The wholesale disruption of American health care being discussed in some of these proposals would surely jeopardize the relationship people have with their doctors, destabilize the nation's health system, and limit the ability of clinicians to practice medicine at their best. And the inherent cost burden would surely have a severe impact on the economy and jobs, all without fundamentally increasing access to care.
0: Those comments took down the rest of the sector with Anthem, Cigna, Humana all plunging on the day. Healthcare was the best performing sector last year, but what a different story it is this year. It's the worst performing sector. So, has healthcare in the trade become too much of a political headache for investors? Definitely.
2: I think, well, the the price action shows you as much that it's a bipartisan uh, appeal to the nation. Everyone hates healthcare. Everyone hates healthcare costs, but I believe Mr. Wickman will be proven right. But it's got a long road of headwinds and you're in for more volatile action in the price
0: all right well our next guest says there could be more pain ahead for the sector the healthcare sector let's get to chris veron at the plasma chris what are you looking at
8: hey melissa yeah well certainly uh one of the weaker sectors uh in our work and you know if we just look at the last several months i think what stands out to us uh, most importantly as the broader market has grinded higher you've had a series of lower highs for the healthcare group and you know when you look at it in relative terms it's really been the story of risk on risk off when the market was risk off healthcare worked in the second half uh, uh, of 18 when the market's been risk on healthcare has underperformed and it leaves us in relative terms versus the S&P precisely where we've been over the last year so let's look internally and let's see what's going on under the surface and I think what's most important here, the percentage of health care stocks above their 200-day average continues to decline. So internally, the setup's actually getting weaker, even as the stocks uh, here have gone sideways. Just 50% of the group uh, above its 200. So when we look at how do we play this at the stock level, certainly UNH, one of the weaker names. In the very, very short term, it could probably bounce here back to that 240 level, but we're a seller of rallies, and we're a seller of rallies because this long multi-year uptrend that's been in place for four or five years is now broken. When trend is down, we sell rallies. When we look at a name like Eli Lilly, this has been one of the winners uh, in the group. But I think the risk now is with the sector deteriorating. Is there a risk for Lilly? It's still 10 bucks above its 200-day moving average. At the same time, its relative is starting to peak versus the S&P. So, deteriorating name still risk back to the 200, that's about 10 bucks lower. Is there anything we can own in this sector? There might be some biotech that's getting a little bit better. This is Alexion Let's remember, this is a 50% bear market over the last several years. It's been quietly basing right around this 140 level. And as the rest of the sector has gotten worse, this one's actually quietly starting to turn up. This has been the anti-defensive name. We think this is one way to play an otherwise weak sector.
0: All right, come on over, Chris. Evan will bring the chair over. Thank you, Great Evan. music. Hey, what doing this? Did, we, did we create it's this? on me. <laughs> Is it our own? No, I think it's like freemusic.com and you pick a, you know, a tune and there we you go. You know, freemusic.com, free Music. Whatever, you know, something yeah. like that. Um, so so just the overview. Yeah. Break it down within the sector. You like, I mean, can you, is it as easy to say, Biotech, yes. Insurers, no. There's some
8: signs of life in biotech uh-huh. in a risk on market that we might want to entertain. But when you look at hospitals, you look at insurers, you look at pharma, that frankly has probably run too much here, it's a sector that's deteriorating. And, you know, it's certainly oversold. We could get a bounce over the next couple of weeks. We sell rallies and downtrends, and there's a lot of downtrends uh, in that sector right here.
0: Does it matter that it was the best performing sector last year? Does it make this T- rollover more convincing that you know it had the big run sure. last year so people are i think it speaks fleeing. to
8: the idea that the market broadly is trading on risk on risk off backdrops we have all the risk on cyclical groups firing on all cylinders right now industrials getting better china getting better europe getting better autos getting better today utilities weakest group staples weakest group healthcare are rolling over. I think this is about the market starting to price in better economic growth. And if the market's pricing
3: in better growth, I'm not sure I want to own healthcare. I don't want to own utilities. I don't want to own staples. So, and Chris, don't yeah. conf- let's not confuse Chris using the middle finger to draw it, saying that he hates his Why insurance Why do you have to bring that up every when, single time the he's trying, is I, on? I made anyway. bad joke. But bottom line is, I guess that's my point. Yeah. So, um, are, are, are you looking at the the contrarian indicators or something like staples, for example, which actually has, has been reasonably um, you know i would say performing in this environment despite all the risk on
8: i thought one of the great contrarian signals last week was the imf downgrading growth everything we look at says growth is getting better here copper up iron ore up steel up china up i just don't want to own defensive yield proxies in that environment i think the world is getting better call is still under owned uh, and it's one that we want to embrace
0: so i'm just going to connect the dots bank of america merrill lynch had their flows survey out, and yeah. it said that the most crowded trade, I think it was the fund manager's survey, the most crowded trade right now is short Europe. Yeah. So if we should be pricing in growth, yeah. in an upturn in growth, is that going to just, those people are going to be crushed in this trade?
8: We think it's crowded to be negative on Europe. We love it here. Look at the European autos. BMWs, the Daimler, the Continentals. These things were down 50% last year. They priced in a lot of bad outcomes. They're all getting better. Look at the European luxury names, all getting better. This is where we think you want to find uh, risk on exposure this year going forward. When do you
2: guess less risk uh, prone in the markets? Do you look at the S&P to dictate from top down, 50,000 foot up, macro yes. versus granularity, or do you look from the bottoms up where you start to see the utilities, the staples, these we look names at, start to rally? Sure.
8: We look at leadership relationships. We look at discretionary versus staples. What's better? Huh. Discretionary. We look at copper versus gold. What's better? Huh. Copper. As those things start to inflect, that dictates how our call evolves from here.
0: Chris, good to see you. Thank Thanks you. for coming good you, Chris Varone of Strategius. Guy, where are you Can I talk about
1: UNH real quick? I mean, the oh, stock's yes. down 24% okay. in the last couple of months. The trades at a valuation probably hasn't seen in decades. Great American company. The quarter was fine. Not only was it fine, it was a beat Solid. and a raise. Yeah. And people were just shooting first, asking questions later, because somehow they believe that magically things are going to change. I still say buy the weakness. Yeah.
4: Pete, quick. I would agree with Guy. I, I mean, and, and by the, the way, UNH, great company. You've got to love them. Minnesota, boom.
0: By the way, <laughs> For more on the it's healthcare space, go to tradingnation.cnbc.com. Still ahead on Fast, check out shares of IBM lower after its earnings report. The stock has been on a tear all year. We'll tell you what's driving this move. Plus, a Weed Week continues here on Fast Money. Tonight, we're talking to a CEO of a company bringing luxury to the cannabis space. Much more Fast Money right after this. We've got an earnings alert on IBM and that stock is down more than two and a half percent after hours on a revenue miss. Deidre Boses in San Francisco with the details. Deidre. Hey, Melissa, IBM still struggling to shift the business, but now putting the focus squarely on cloud after that huge red hat deal, which is expected to close this year. So investors very eager to hear how it plans to incorporate the company, especially as its organic cloud growth slowed this quarter on the earnings call. Jim Kavanaugh, the CFO, telling analysts that they're getting other parts of the business ready. Have a listen.
4: We have a strong foundation for the addition of Red Hat. Together, we will be ideally positioned to help our clients shift their business applications to hybrid cloud while addressing the issues I just mentioned around portability, management consistency, security, remaining open, which avoids
7: vendor lock-in.
0: Now, just for fun, guys, I've been keeping track of how many times IBM mentions cloud and Red Hat on the call. So far, more than 85 cloud mentions, 16 Red Hats. Back to you. All right, Deidre. Thank you, Deidre Bosa. IBM, by the way, still up 25% on the year. Um, What now, Grasso?
2: So I don't think they can compete longer term. They're trying to turn around a legacy business, try to add that cloud into it. But year to date, they have outperformed Microsoft. They have outperformed Amazon. That's a tremendous feat. So I'm going to give them tailwind short term, but headwind longer term. I wouldn't be a buyer longer term, but I think you can get this pop to continue for probably the next couple of months.
4: But what I like about it longer term, Steve, is the whole Red Hat issue, which they said brought between that and cloud. That's what they're talking about. Hybrid cloud is what we're talking about when we talk about Red Hat. So is the focus on cloud? Is it in the right spot? I would say absolutely. I still go back to October and say best acquisition IBM, which is a serial acquisition stock. Best one that they've ever had in the history of that company. Well,
3: I'm Is that gonna, saying so, a lot? No, good. I'll throw some Debbie Downer on this. <laughs> throw look, some I Debbie mean, Downer. I, I think there's
4: three consecutive
3: quarters of, of revenue, uh, revenues that are lighter. If you want to look at the chart, you've got possibly a downtrend from 175 from February of last year. Um, there's nothing about the cloud business to me that's growing margin for them. It's, in fact, becoming much more commoditized. I realize the cloud has been the savior for Microsoft and for Amazon, and there's a lot of growth there, but there's a lot of competition as well.
0: Okay.
1: It's interesting. So, what are we, what's that game we play when you either
3: so have to games. trade Would it
0: or fade it? Trade it or fade it, right? And, yeah.
1: And rec- no, no we ducks. played it recently, <laughs> and yes. IBM was one of those names. And yes, you came to me, was. and I said, Pedro wasn't here. Yeah. But I remember I said to you, I said, Pedro's, he's, he's, what he said the other day was rolling in your around hat. in my head. And you said, Pete's in your head. I said, yeah, he is, because he mentioned the Red Hat, and I said, you know, they paid through the nose, they being IBM. They did. Hail Mary without question. And Tim's right. I mean, in terms of margins, but their margins are hanging in there. And this is a quarter, six months ago, if they report, the stock is down 10% and it's not, which I find really interesting given the run its You're a convert. Had. I'm a convert.
0: A convert? Not were, a con yes, were a anti- con- right. I'm, before, I'm a convert. I'm a and convert. Now is Pete pro. still in your head?
1: No. if you right, he's right there. He doesn't have to be in my Thank head. He's God. over there now. Appreciate still
0: it. ahead, it is Weed Week here on Fast Money and tonight we're talking to the man bringing the cannabis cafe to a corner near you. More Fast Money Ooh, nice. right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Weed Week rolling on here with the latest boom in a budding boutique business, cannabis mm. pre-rolls. Lowell Herb Company is the number one selling pre-roll packs with about 30% market share. We're joined now by David Elias, the co-founder and CEO of that brand. David, great to have you with us.
9: Thanks so much for having me on the show.
0: Um, What what do pre-rolls or who do pre-rolls cater to? I mean, are people just too lazy to roll their own joints to get high?
9: Well, definitely there's some of that, but also really if you think about the industry for the longest time, uh cannabis consumers have been getting their cannabis in a plastic bag. So, in our case, we really we were looking to elevate that experience and to your point, make it a lot more convenient.
0: You know, I have talked to a number of um bud tenders uh, oh, over the past few months nice just nice. doing some research yeah. out there um, and they say that this actually caters to a new demographic the people who may not be um, regular users the people who may be new to this the people who want sort of the luxury feel the the people who can spend the money is that what you're finding with this because the feeling well, of the packaging is is very different from from a lot of others
9: thanks for that we love that you refer to it as luxury but really uh What we're focused on is mainstream. We've created an absolutely beautiful product with a lot of care and attention. We source our flowers from some of the best cultivators in the state. Um, We work with farms that have been cultivating with organic methods for decades, and we put a lot of care into both the packaging and the actual cannabis that's in the package.
0: Could you ever see, right now you are in various retailers such as uh, a MedMen, but can you see a a time where you could go direct to consumer? Is that part of your business model?
9: It's a really great point that you bring up. We're really excited about the direct model. Uh, I think over time, the fact that we've seen such interest in the brand, we believe that the opportunity to go direct to consumers will be a big one for us, uh, especially in California where you're talking about the largest cannabis market in the world.
3: Eli, welcome to Weed Week, and so, you know, you talk about brands and talk about some of the people that are the big multinationals that people think are going to be getting into this industry. You guys have gotten out first. Um, Why do you think you can hold your own against, whether it's big tobacco or people that have the distribution, have, you know, maybe not as beautiful a pack to lay on the table as you do, but they certainly have done this before. Talk about that.
9: It's a great point that you bring up, and while we're mindful of the fact that there will be real competitors entering the space, um in creating brands which is something i've had the fortune experience of doing for a while you know we consider ourselves really blessed and, and really proud of what we've created and we don't think it's something that's easy to create you know a hit like what we have with lowell is not something that can just be simply manufactured um if you think about what we have to do to you know keep the brand where it is today you know the reference you made before about bud tenders. You know when you go to a store and you're talking about uh, products and you're learning about it, the bud tenders really they do love the product. They speak about it, and I think that the love that we've seen for what we've created is not easily replicable.
0: All right, David, we're going to leave it there. We hope you'll come back sometime and keep us posted on your business, David Elias of Lowell Herb.
3: And you were just doing research, right, for the bud tenders?
0: Just say no, Tim. I'm a <laughs> Nancy Reagan generation. Yeah. Um, but yes, research before a bigger project on cannabis. But in terms of, of the placement of this, he, you know, the direct-to-consumer is interesting because a lot of dispensaries are run and operated by those that also have... Uh, they their sell own their own brands. Yeah,
3: yeah, and and you, if, two weeks ago you saw a big deal where Cresco Labs but Origin House um, because they have distribution. So DTC is a big part of this story. Uh, building a brand, consumer product story lulls out there. It's like drinking a fine Scotch or something. That's that's the brand they've built, and they're trying to be the next Marlboro Man. In Are
4: there some hurdles out there with the direct? Consumer, like you're talking about, though, in terms of you know regulatory, from, regulatory. Yeah, I yeah. mean that's.
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah. In, in fact, obviously, it's very different in every state, and what you're seeing with even some of the DTC guys that are delivery services in California have been basically have had their wings clipped. So a lot of this is changing on the fly. Right. Uh, but DTC could also mean uh, procurement warehouses, the same stuff that Amazon was doing for years is happening in this sector.
2: The problem is there's been some headwinds recently. I got out of Canopy and Kronos recently. Kronos uh, is down 37% in a very short order. Canopy's down. but they're starting to get attractive, and they're both up over 50% year to date, which is saying something about the space. So I think you have to be there. Those bigger names, there's where you have to be. You can't be, there's thousands of names. You have to be the ones that are scalable and can scale. You
1: know what's fascinating? First of all, obviously we have. The person for this on the desk. The cannabis. I'm That's listening to that. At Thank you. At when I close my eyes, which is my want to do at times, that was on the, the reform broker. That was Josh Brown's voice, that guy. Did you hear it? <laughs> it was uncanny. Yeah, he's been missing for it's a It's the days. craziest thing. Pete's shaking his head. I on don't know right. what you're talking about. Right. TRB, man, with um, bald. It's fantastic. No. <laughs>
0: Weed Week, by the way, rolls on here on Fast Money. Tomorrow oh, wow. we have Somebody's Ben Cobbler, rolling. the chairman and CEO of Green Thumb Industries. And on Thursday you'll hear from Craig Fox, CEO of High Times. Coming up, Morgan Stanley is the last of the big banks report earnings and traders are betting the stock could get crushed on the results. We will break it down when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for some options action. Morgan Stanley is the last of the big banks to report tomorrow. Mike Coes in San Francisco with all the action. Hey, Mike.
2: Hi there. Yeah, so Morgan Stanley is implying about a 3.1% move on earnings. That may not sound like much, but as you point out, it's one of the last banks to report. And that's a larger move than the 2.4% that it's averaged over the last eight quarters. On above average volume, one of the trades I saw today was a purchase of the April 46.5 44 one by 2 put spread. What it looked like to me was somebody rolling a position up to the 46.5 puts. They spent about 50 cents to do that, so that would be a bearish bet that it's going to fall below that 46.5. Put strike, But I would also point out that those 44 puts that they were rolling up from they initiated only last week it looks to me. So I think what's happening is they were, might be hedging a long position and the stock's just been getting away from them a little bit as it has risen more than 10% since the end of March.
0: All right. Guy, what are you expecting out of uh disappointing? MS? I
1: thought Goldman Sachs was disappointing. I think, you know, and I think Morgan Stanley will be more of the same. The price action was OK. And Morgan Stanley's going from 37 to 47 in about what a month, month and a half. I mean, that's a, that's a, probably the biggest move you've seen in that stock in the last 18 months. So I do think that the numbers will be okay to slightly not okay, and I think the stock does a
0: back-and-fill back down to 43. The rally back today in shares of Bank of America was pretty impressive.
3: Yeah, well, look, I I tend to think money center banks look okay. Also, look at the yield curve. We're back up to 260 on the 10-year from 234. That has a lot to do with it.
0: All right, Options Action is off on Friday, but you can catch us back here next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. We'll see Mike go then. Next up, a final check on Netflix as the company's earnings call is almost five minutes away or so right after the break. Stay tuned. We are just about a minute away from the video call in which Reed Hastings will talk about the quarter. and Netflix shares are down by six-tenths of 1% volatile after hours, but holding here, Keith. Yeah, Pete mentioned that, but I find,
1: again, I'll say it again. I am really surprised that the stock is hanging in as well as it has, given the 3% move today and given the guidance they gave. Historically, that guidance would knock the stock down, and it's not, which I think, if you're bullish in Netflix, is extraordinarily encouraging. This
0: call, though, will be key, Un, Without question. Yeah. All right. Final straight time, Pete. Because I love Red Hat so much in that acquisition. IBM. Giddy up. I
4: think she's going back. Tim. Great to have Phil LeBeau.
0: Yeah. In that. yeah. yeah. Phil and Lebeau. Talking airlines
3: as he does. He got me fired at United Airlines. United. UAL. Steve. Just spoke about it.
2: Netflix. That's the final trade. I think it moves higher from here. Know your risk tolerance. Use today's after hours
1: low to exit the trade if it goes south. Hey. No OA on Friday, no, due to Good. good Friday. I mean, that's unfortunate, but we'll get back next week without question. You know what else is going to get back? In my humble
0: opinion, United Health. Pete, say it. UNH comes out. All right. That does it, Russ. Stay back here tomorrow at five for more fast money. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now.